0: Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Gravetop Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, welcome to Grave Top Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Uh, at Gravetop Church, we have started a new series uh, talking about true self-care, true self-care, and I, I was really anticipating uh, the idea of people disagreeing with this message because self-care has now been kind of like a conspiracy within church worlds. And a lot of, uh, a lot of self-care that is promoted is kind of just bogus stuff. If you ever follow anyone that uh, like uh, social media influencers, they often promote like self-care, self-care. And they really just tell you to do what, like, what you want to do. It's not really complicated. It's like, you know, take that Netflix binge. Like, I could have done that on my own. I didn't even need someone to tell me that. Um, but a lot of the promoted self-care isn't true self-care. It's just, uh, in a sense, like letting loose in your life, and, which is nice. But there's actually a lot of biblical self-care that, uh, that I think is neglected within not just Christians, but people in general. And this whole month, we are trying to go in depth and unpacking how we can take care of ourselves as Christians. So today we're gonna talk about burnt out and ready to quit. Burnt out and ready to quit. Some of y'all look like y'all almost teared up right now. (laughs) Burnt out and ready to quit. These are the moments in our lives to where we feel like we've been exasperated, we're uh, we either burnt out from being overtired, overworked, or we're simply unmotivated. We, we have lost motivation in our, in our lives, we, things that we were once excited about, we're no longer expi- excited about, and we're just ready to quit. And so starting off, I want to share this scripture. In Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22, it says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, to Jesus that is, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the groom is with them, the attendants of the groom cannot fast, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast, but the days will come when the groom is taken away from them, and they will fast on that day. Like the beginning of January, how we all did a fast, remember no one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it the new from the old and a worse tear results. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. So this, uh, this first point... What I want us to understand is this idea, if you're feeling burnt out, you're ready to quit, maybe slow down. Maybe slow down. Because you must allow yourself to be a beginner sometimes. This verse, I feel like for years, when I would read this verse, it was one of those passages of scripture to where I felt like everyone else knew what it meant. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. What what did the new wine web represent? What does the wineskin represent? And I could understand the idea of like, yeah, you don't do that in with wineskins and wines, but how does that really apply to my life? Y'all you know what I'm talking about? Was it just me? And it took me years and one day I finally felt like I realized what was going on. The disciples, Jesus' disciples, are newbies. They're beginners. Even after Jesus resurrected and in the book of Acts, when the Pharisees would uh, seize uh, Peter and the other disciples, they would even talk among themselves saying, these, these, uh, these guys are uneducated men, untrained men. They don't, uh, they, they've not been trained, they've not been uh, taught in school about, um, about our religion, our law, yet we know that they walked with Jesus. And so even then, it was known that they were newbies. They were beginners, but they walked with Jesus. And it, it shows that in this scripture, they're trying to project these seasoned, experienced practices onto these newbies. How come your disciples don't fast like the rest of us fast? How come they don't do this? How come they don't do that? And Jesus is saying, hey, they just got here. Chill out. When they're ready, they'll be able to fit into their own skin You don't have to try to fit them into the mold that you created over years and years of experience. Y'all get what I'm saying? And we often try to start things as experts and professionals, don't we? This wineskin analogy is simply saying that the disciples were nude wine and they had to develop their own skins of experience. And if they tried to wear the skins of of experienced wine, they wouldn't be able to handle it all and would likely burst from the unadapted pressure you have to go at your own pace you simply have to do your best and forget to rest people don't like the idea of being a beginner we don't like the idea of being a beginner and no one wants to accept the fact that they are ignorant or inexperienced in certain things no one wants to accept the fact that they are simply ignorant of some certain things ignorant isn't a nasty word it just means that you don't know Inexperience—you just haven't tried yet. You haven't been at it, and so uh, that this simple fact is why we skip instruction manuals or we skim them over really fast. The whenever I'm putting together like uh, furniture or like uh, those of y'all who have seen my home gym, um, whenever I've like been putting together like the benches or like even the the punching bag rack, the first like s- steps. I end up messing up even when I look through the instructions because I skim through it so fast. Like I know what I'm doing. I know how to use tools. And then all of a sudden I'm like, why is this part like this? And I have to go back and it takes the first half always takes me twice as long as the second half because I always try to skip ahead. Even anyone that reads books, how many of us really read the prologues, the introduction We look at it as like, this is empty space. Like, I need to read this whole book. This is too much. Let me just skip ahead. I know what's going on. Or uh, how many of you have gotten that new job that you always wanted, and you skip the onboarding videos? All of the onboarding videos, and you're just like not paying attention. You're scrolling on your phone, making sure no one's walking in on you. And then whenever someone does walk in, you just lean forward like, oh, See, we skip all of these beginning stages, and then we, uh, we try to start things in life at a couple ste- steps ahead. We always try to start life at a couple steps ahead, and then we feel totally confused when we start feeling overwhelmed. Oh, man, why am I feeling so burnt out? Why do I feel so overwhelmed? Why do I feel so anxious? You must allow yourself to go at your own pace, allow yourself to stretch, but also know your limits. Because everything you do in your life stretches your mental health. Everything that you do in life, it stretches your mental health. It affects your mental health. And when you take on more than you can chew, this might be a weird analogy, but just bear with me and don't be gross. You might be able to take on more than you can chew, but eventually uh, it, you'll eventually be able to swallow whatever you're trying to chew on but you'll to be too tired after the next bite. If you've ever had a big piece of steak, and you're sitting there, especially if it's well done, and you're just chewing for a while, and you're like, "No, I can do it," and you eventually wear it down, and you're able to accomplish this task of taking this big bite. But then your jaw is so so tired afterwards, where even the next bite, if it's a normal bite or even a small bite, you feel more you you feel so exasperated and it's like oh man my jaw is sore and in life it's like that because then you'll be forced to take smaller bites after trying to take this big bite that you couldn't that you could barely chew and you'll still be so tired from the first bite you can't even do the little ones and then what happens is that you get discouraged and just want to give up because now you're trying to go backwards at step one while you started at step four and you're trying to do something smaller, but you're so tired from trying to do something too much, and now you came and do too little. You want to work out? If you try to bench too much, the first rep, you're like, "Oh man, I'm gonna have to go down less weight." And then you try to do even less weight, and you're like, "Man, I could barely do this now. I just did so much more, but now I can barely do this l- this smaller amount because you overexasperated yourself with the one you could barely handle." Y'all dig what I'm saying? We get this, and so the point i'm sharing this is because so many of us especially when in our Christ, within our christian walk we dis, we get discouraged in life when we try to do something more than we can handle we didn't want to be a beginner and so we try to do more and then we get discouraged and we're too prideful to go back to step one and so we give up we quit especially in our faith Especially in our faith. Now, there's a study uh, uh, called the Holmes Ray Life Stress Inventory Test, and it's a stress analysis for measuring stress and health. In this analysis, it lists dozens of possible life events and rates your score, uh, rates your score with the possibility of a stress-induced health breakdown. I remember I, I when I heard about this uh, this test. It's called the Holmes. Dash Ray Life Stress Inventory, and I remember the first time I found this out, I was curious. It was actually the beginning of 2020. Little did I know what was about to happen in the world, but I did this test for the uh, for the last three years of my life at the time, and and it's supposed to, you're supposed to make this inventory for the for a 12 month span, and so I just did like 2018. This is what happened: 2019, 2017, and and I just listed all of the different things. Uh, It has a list and you just put your points and I score it up. And if you get 150 points or less, you have a relatively low amount of of life change and low susceptibility of stress-induced health breakdown. Because having high amount of stress will actually affect your health. 150 to 300 points means that you'll have a 50% chance of a health breakdown in the next two years so, something that could possibly happen in your health 300 points or more you have an 80% chance of health breakdown in the next two years in the next two years so so much stress can affect your bodily health in a 12 month span having too much stress can affect your health up to two years well I did this test for myself and I realized that I scored way over 300 for three years in a row. I was like, that's <laughs> that's intimidating. I was like, well, I, part of me was like, I knew it was a hard year. <laughs> but what was most interesting is that two things. One, it helped me to make better decisions that year. The moment that I realized that we had over uh, way too much stress for three years in a row, I was like, man, I've been making too much... Uh, too many risky decisions. I've been putting my family through too much stress because it's not just me. My kids had to deal with it. My wife had to deal with it. And so there's little decisions that would come up like, should we move again? And I'm like, you know what? That's a stressful event. I'm going to hold off moving this year because we already had a lot of stressful things happening. Y'all get what I'm saying? It would help me make small decisions like that. Should I look for an extra job or a new job? Well, we've already had a, a lot of change a lot of stress, and so if i 'm able to, I can just hold off for another year y 'all get what i 'm saying it would help me to make big major decisions, even when opportunities came up i would get uh, we are about to have our third baby our third boy uh, our third kid, and right at the time we were about to uh, have our third third one for, to have three under three i got uh, I got asked if I could continue, uh, could do more for the juvenile um, uh, uh, juvenile probation office here in town and, and I was like you're gonna have to hold on because that's gonna put too much stress on my family. I would love to, I want to, but I'm, ar- I'm having a new baby that's a stress inducing event and so I'm gonna have to hold on for another year. Well before I took on a lot of uh, opportunities like that when we, we had our first kid and it made things exponentially more stressful. Y'all dig what I'm saying? So understanding your stress helps you to to decide when to say no. The other thing it helped me to understand is when all of a sudden I was having these random panic attacks. (laughs) Ever have that uh, anxiety attack right before bed? Oh man, it feels great. (laughs) I started finding myself staying up later than I would normally want to just because I didn't want to have an anxiety attack right before bed. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm saying? Because it's just the worst feeling, thinking, like having this feeling like you're going to die right before bed. It's just not fun to go to sleep to. And all this, while before I was like, man, what's wrong with me? Now I could look at and say so like, oh, all of the stress that I took on for the last couple of years is starting to affect me in different ways. It's affecting my health. And so it helps you understand, oh, I'm not just mentally crazy. I'm not messed up. I, I'm not broken. I took a large amount of stress that is affecting my health. It helps you to just be self-aware and to allow yourself to slow down and be a beginner. Again, this point is, maybe slow down. Maybe slow down. So now let's let's go into uh, this idea. This this next idea, and it's continuing in the same verse, Mark chapter two, verse twenty-three. Jesus then says, and it happened that. Uh, he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with them. Now I'm going to break this down, but this point is maybe calm down. Maybe just calm down. Getting all worked up, maybe calm down. Don't let the idea of perfection trick you into quitting. Don't let the idea of perfection trick you into quitting. Now these high priests and these Pharisees were, were really out to get Jesus and his companions, the disciples. And so they're trying to nitpick at every little thing they would do. You're picking grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus would often show them how hypocritical they were. He said, did you not let uh, your horse out of the stable today? Did you not let your donkey out of the stable? How does that work any different from them just simply pick, picking grains? He's saying, you guys are setting a higher standard on us and not accepting it yourselves. And here, he gives this interesting analogy to where instead of pointing at them, they're trying, he says, look at David, look at King David, and how you're trying to pick at us for picking grain at the grain fields. But David, he broke the law when he took the consecrated bread from the priest. And David is held in such high esteem, and yet you're, uh, you're picking on these guys. It's just the idea of David, to give another example I believe that modern church is actually one of the most holiest stages of Christianity in in, in, this, uh, in segment of time. And now, while most churches will tell you the complete opposite, that we're, that we're falling farther and farther away from God every day, I'll project this idea. Just the idea of like sexual purity. Is, it, is, it, it is actually extremely high within American church. It really is. I mean, I was a youth pastor, and I remember that uh, I got, uh, I became aware pretty quick that youth pastoring, what churches really want you to do is just tell kids to not have sex. <laughs> Break up with you, your girlfriend and boyfriend and don't have sex. That's like 80% of all of youth pastoring, what what churches want you to do. Um, now, we did a lot, we, we didn't uh, necessarily do that, but I'm just giving an example. And uh, we we have high standards of sexual purity within American church, right? I mean, to where the idea of uh, of masturbating is like you're gonna go to hell. Like everyone feels complete, like so guilty for the thought of masturbation, right? It like so many so much counseling has happened from this topic. And that, and then you're like, where is he going with this? <laughs> Valentine's Day was last month. <laughs> the, the, this is where I'm going. Look. So we have all of this guilt and condemnation when it comes to sex in American church. That's what I'm trying to portray. And in the same messages, we, we really put David on this huge pedestal because he was a great man of God, right? This man had uh, multiple wives, multiple wives, and it was clearly instructed in Leviticus to not take on multiple wives. And so even within his sexual sin he was able to still connect with God. And so, again, I'm not, t- I'm not trying to say, so go out there and get him. No. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I, again, I'm saying we actually have a high standard of holiness. What I'm saying is that the things that we, that we often think so easily disconnect us from God, God is much closer than we realize. David commits adultery with a with, uh, with woman that was married, The man that that, uh, her husband was, was one of the top 30 uh, fighting men, mighty warriors of David. It wasn't just a random soldier. It was actually someone in his close group of friends. One of the men that literally protected David when Saul was pursuing him. Talk about betrayal. Not only did he uh, have sex with his wife, but then once she got pregnant, he covered it up. By uh, first trying to trick him into sleeping with his, uh, his own wife so that he could just like put off the pregnancy. He's like, that's your kid. Thank God there's not DNA tests now. But it, when he refused, when he was like, how can I sleep with my wife when all of the men at war? He's like, dang it. This guy's way too loyal. I'm going to just have to kill him. And he has him killed in battle on purpose. It was a huge sin. The whole nation had to, uh, had to suffer the consequences because of David's sin. This is a big deal so I think we're doing all right. I think we're doing okay for the general direction that we're at. When we compare just the life of David, the man that was so, so uh, uh, honored by God that he chose him because he had a heart after God, even though he wasn't perfect, he had a heart after God and, and all of his shortcomings in all of his, his sinful passions that he couldn't control. Sometimes He would still go back to God after he messed up. That's what made him special, is that he would consistently, relentlessly go back to God even after he would sin. And I feel like we can all relate to David a little bit more when we realize that, when we feel like we can't control ourselves sometimes. The only difference is that we run away from God because we have allowed the idea of perfection to trick us into quitting. While David was like, I know I'm not perfect, but I need you, God. And so in this moment, people, these Pharisees are are projecting this onto onto the disciples. People, especially churchy people, have a knack for projecting perfection onto others. People in general have a knack for that, but especially churchy people. It's so easy to imagine that one is better than they really are when they tell someone else do this or don't do that. It's a pedestal effect. You put yourself on a pedestal and it makes you feel like you're more important than you are. It's it, the pedestal, the pedestal effect. I made that up by the way, so don't Google it. It's probably not there, but anytime someone gives advice, it makes them feel better about themselves. Okay, that's why there's so many people that love social media influence, because it makes them feel better about themselves, makes them feel more important than they really are. And so whether it's been projected onto you by others or whether it's been internalized by your own perceptions of the world, trying to walk everywhere on a tightrope will make you feel overwhelmed after a while. Trying to walk everywhere in your life on a tightrope will make you feel overwhelmed after a while. You may be able to walk this thin line for a hot minute, okay? You may be able to walk this, this idea of perfection you've made for a while. But after a couple years, you start realizing the truth, which is that you're not perfect and that you need to chill sometimes. I think that this single reason is one of the biggest reasons so many Christians abandon their faith. Because we get passionate about God, we fall in love with our Savior, and then we we start getting all these ideas of perfection portrayed onto us. When you first give your life to Christ, it's great because you are so close to the moment that you're like, I knew that I was a sinner, and now I'm saved. I'm I'm, uh, walking this righteous life. And so you have such a distinct line of before and after. But then after a while, you just start putting on more and more ideas of what perfection is. I didn't read my Bible today, so I'm not a good Christian. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It, we, we pick up little things like that over years, and whenever we don't match up to it, we beat ourselves up internally. We feel like we're not qualified anymore. We feel like we're not worthy anymore. When that, in reality, when you look back to that moment when you first trusted in Jesus... It, it was you were so much farther than where you were, and yet we think that we're worse than that person. It's silly. And I say that it, it may take a couple of years because for a couple of years you can live like that. A couple of years you can you can make this 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 tightrope effect, but then after a while you start realizing how hard it is, how hard it is to live like that. I mean. When you realize that you're going to be alive longer than 10 years it's hard to really perceive that when we're young when you're when you're 20 it's hard to imagine yourself at 30. y'all know what i'm talking about and it's the same way when you turn 30 it's hard to imagine yourself at 40. and i don't know at what point that changes but yeah i I remember hearing 80 year olds telling uh, a 50 year old oh you're still so young And I was like 20, like, what the? (laughs) (laughs) But what I'm getting at is that you're going to be alive most likely a lot longer than you anticipate. And you need to allow yourself to calm down. Allow yourself to know that you might be perfect for a while, but you won't be able to be perfect forever. And again, that idea of perfection. It's... It's something humbling to know that every day, whenever you think that you're perfect, every day that we poop, we should realize that we're still human. You know what I'm talking about? You think you're so great, but then eventually someone has to poop and it's like, you're just like the rest of us. (laughs) Everyone has crap in their lives. And it's an incredibly humbling experience to recognize that your humanity and when you do, it helps you to truly better connect with those around you. Come back to earth with the rest of us. Even Paul, when he would talk about these, he would call them super saints. He literally is making fun of other Christians. <laughs> he says, I'm sorry that I'm not like these other super saints. They, they've already gone to heaven without us. <laughs> I'm still here, though. <laughs> it, it, it's this, I, this, again, it helps us. To step off of the tightrope sometimes to be able to continue in life with a, with a real realistic life with walking on our journey rather than giving up on your journey altogether. Allow yourself to try and be imperfect while trying. Allow yourself to try while being imperfect uh, while be, and be imperfect while trying. So that that moves us to our last point. That was maybe calm down. Y'all like these points, right? Maybe just calm down. (laughs) The last one, Uh, I want to read these scriptures. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 through 28. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This other verse in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. It says you have six days each week for ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest. An official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day and it must be observed wherever you live. (coughs) This last point is maybe take a day. Maybe just take a day. Take a day. Your need for rest and your need for God go hand in hand. Your need for rest and your need for God go hand in hand. We often neglect the command of the Sabbath more than anything else. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. Think of that. The fourth commandment is that we should keep the Sabbath. Most don't realize that taking a Sabbath or just simply the Sabbath is a day to rest, right, is a two-sided coin. The Sabbath... In Hebrew, it's Shabbat. is a two-sided coin, meaning both a physical rest as well as a spiritual rest. And God commands us to take a day to do this each week. Now, rest described in these scriptures is two things. Now, I said it's physical and spiritual. It says in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, it says that, The Sabbath is an official day of holy assembly. An official day of holy assembly. Wait a minute. What is... What's in our ordinary life that's like that? (gasps) That's just like going to church, isn't it? (laughs) It's saying, have a day to go to church. A day for holy assembly. A day that's consecrated. A day that's special to where you go and assemble together with other believers and worship God in this moment. And then... On top of that, it says, and a day of complete rest. (gasps) Wow. So what does that mean, though? Day for holy assembly and then a day of complete rest? What does that really mean? It's this simple, and this is as simple as it gets. Go to church and chill the rest of the day. That's it. That's all the scripture is saying. Go to church and chill the rest of the day. Do no ordinary work. Just... Allow yourself to have this day to go to church and to chill and do what you enjoy while, uh, do, what you do, uh, do what you enjoy to do when relaxing. It doesn't mean that you have to be spirit, like, incredibly spiritual the rest of the day. It doesn't mean that we should like, be all crazy sinful either. But it's, it's saying just rest, allow yourself to relax, make no other plans on this day so that you can truly rest and relax. For me and Lauren, we have to choose a day to where we don't do anything. And it's very easy for us to, to skip days like that. For us, church day like this, this holy assembly, is the hardest day that we work. Because we come here, we set up. Like it's, it's, I love it. It's my favorite day as well as the hardest day. We get all this together. We preach. We, she's with kids the entire time. I mean, it's, it's not a break. <laughs> and then afterwards, we go home like we're sliding into home base, put all the kids to, to, for their nap, try to eat something real quick before they wake up. Then they wake up and then I get ready to go to the, the uh, recovery center to go give a message there. And, and so it's like a whole day thing. And so for us, we have to take another day besides the holy assembly day where we get together with our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ to where we can just rest, to where we can rest. And we try to choose a day to where we don't plan anything on those days. We don't. Uh, there's a, a lot of you, we, we usually meet with y'all like in the evenings. We try to have people over and connect with y'all. That's ministry time for us and as well as like hanging out with y'all. And it's important and needed. But we try to choose a day to where we just don't have anything planned so that we can rest and relax. Because if we don't, we notice that it actually affects our spiritual walk. It's, it goes beyond just getting irritable to where uh, we, st- we actually, uh, it's so much harder to do our normal spiritual disciplines like reading scripture, praying, worship. It's hard to do that, uh, our normal habits, when we don't take that one day to rest. But when we do take that day to rest, it gives that, that, re- that recovery period to where you're able to better function in ordinary work. And so doing this is spiritually significant Because you're showing in faith that you trust God at his word. Anytime we follow God, we're showing that we trust him at his word. So when we take a Sabbath, you're actually acting in faith. It also truly helps you mentally and physically when you go back to work. It is a command as well as a gift. It's a command as well as a gift. And I think that it is incredibly important and meaningful to understand the pretense that mankind is put under a curse because of Adam. Let me read this scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17-19. through 19. This is right after they took of the fruit, and this is the curse of Adam. It says, Said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. Yet you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread until, the, until you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is a, kind of bummed us all out about going to work tomorrow, right? <laughs> it says, by the sweat of your brow... By labor, from work, the rest of your life, that's how you're going to make a a living. In the garden, everything was given to him. Everything was available. But now he has to work for anything he wants in his life. So we know what that's like. And so we understand this pretense that this is a curse of mankind to work to the bone the rest of our lives. It's actually a curse, right? So when God tells us to take a sabbath we are under a curse of constant work there's is constant work yet god has given his people a command to break this curse through faith by taking a day to worship and rest both physically and spiritually when you do this you're making an action and statement of faith to this world it's so counterintuitive the curse Work every day till you die. And God says, but you're not of this world. Take a Sabbath. And it's just a constant reminder that we live by faith. It's a constant reminder that we are going to the eternal rest. It's such a spiritual implication what the Sabbath is. And God does not want his people to be cursed or oppressed. And everything he does in scripture shows his heart in redeeming us even in this moment where he commands us to take a Sabbath. And while these different practices of faith, like taking a Sabbath, are actual acts of faith to break these curses from the world, the ultimate redemption is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because through him we are redeemed, we're forgiven, we're set free, we're blessed, we're loved. It's only through Jesus, only through Jesus, where we find this ultimate rest we find this ultimate redemption to where we find this like reset moment in all of our lives where everything feels like chaos. I can break down all these ideas of of us needing to calm down, slow down, take a day. At the end of it all though, the simplest way for us to have these reset moments is simply by going to Jesus. By going to Jesus. He always makes complicated things simple. He always makes complicated things simple. When He said, all of the teachings, all of the commands of the prophets, all the commandments that you read about in the Old Testament, there's hundreds, there's literally hundreds, over 300. And he says, all of them can be summed up into two. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. Hundreds of commandments that he categorized into two. He always takes what's complicated and makes it simple in your life. Whatever chaos, whatever complicated thing you're going through, he wants to make it simple, and we can do that by just going to him. I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. Ignore the kids' worship in the background. If you're here, and maybe this is a message that you genuinely needed to hear, and maybe you're having a moment to where you feel like life has been complicated, whether your whole life or just recently, and you've never had a moment where you've simply come to Jesus, and you want to do that today for the very first time, with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. So if you want to come to Jesus and have this point of change in your life, The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is that if you have an authentic conversation with Jesus and acknowledge what he has done on the cross and the resurrection, that that is all it takes to start a relationship with him, a journey with him, a conversation. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just start talking to Jesus right where you're at. Share your heart and just have a moment where you have a point of decision where you say, Jesus, from this point forward, I want to walk with you. I want to trust in you. Now, while y'all are doing that, if you're here and you feel like you've been burnt out and ready to quit and, and you feel that God has been speaking to you this message and just the Holy Spirit wants to give you peace right now, If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. See your hands. So God, right now I pray for you to send your Holy Spirit, your presence of peace, and to shower these people with your Spirit, with your presence, and that they would truly feel weight dripping off of their shoulders, that they would feel lighter in this moment, that they would have clear direction what to do from this point forward, and that you'd help all of us here to see you more clearly in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to get ready to go through a time of worship. Before we do, um, I'm going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you all so much. Have a good rest of your day. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, GraveTop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the GraveTop Church Podcast.